0: This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Let's not try to minimize the loss of James Conner. Fumbling issues aside, he's done a really good job. Fifth highest total of total yards in the NFL. I mean, guys like Gurley and Elliott are the only ones ahead of them. It's a big loss. Now, his performance had slowed, but how much of that is because, as we discussed at length yesterday, they're not running the ball anymore. If you look at the amount of runs they've had in the last three games, two losses and one that very well could have been and maybe should have been, they're not running the ball. And you can make the argument, well, they scored 30 points against the Chargers, but I would also suggest who's to say they wouldn't have scored more, or how about scoring the same amount but helping to keep that leaky defense off the field? Now, I'm not one of those who believes that, you know, slow yourself down. No, you score when you can score. You go ahead and score. I don't care if it takes one play in eight seconds or 10 plays in eight minutes. And indeed, they did do that to begin the second half until the penalty on Ramon Foster killed the drive. But the imbalance, even in today's day and age, I think is overwhelmingly lopsided in the wrong direction. I'm not saying it's 1976 all over again when Bradshaw got hurt and they had to use Mike Kruzek. I'm not suggesting we're in the mid-2000s where you gave the ball to Jerome Bettis or Willie Parker. But I am suggesting more of a balance, and they don't have any right now. That's a different subject. But if they're going to continue to throw the ball 45 to 50 times a game, which is basically what they've been averaging the last month, then maybe the loss of James Conner won't be as severe. In fact, it might even push the Steelers into passing the ball even more because they don't have James Conner. Now, Stephen Ridley is a capable guy. He did gain nearly 1,300 yards for the Patriots, but that was six years ago. He was benched because he fumbled against Cleveland, the second Cleveland game, and hasn't played since. Everybody fumbles once in a while. Adequate. I don't think you can put him in the same category as D'Angelo Williams, and they got great production out of D'Angelo Williams. But when he went down, what were they left with? Ben Tate? And I also think it's prudent to mention that when we discuss a running game, there's more to it than just the running back. I mean, clearly a great running back makes a difference because lineman could open the exact same hole and the average guy will get through it and maybe get three yards where the better back will get five and the great back will get seven. And that adds up. That's important. But it also comes down to how well the line's blocking, how well the tight ends are doing their job, are wide receivers blocking downfield, and first and foremost, how often are you calling them? And I don't think you can call two run plays a quarter and expect to get your running game in gear. And in today's day and age, especially with the offense that the Steelers have, I'm not suggesting that they run 50% of the time or even 40% of the time. But 33% of the time is not enough. Now, that may be exactly what they're forced to do. But just because James Conner isn't there, I don't think they should abandon running the football. If the primary mode of offensive movement is going to be the pass game, you don't want to be in a position where they drop everybody in their uncle, you know, two guys stay on the line and nine are back in pass coverage. There's got to be some kind of a threat. And I don't think that Ridley or Jalen Samuels are incompetent. And we don't know if they'll be ineffective. There are other elements of being a running back. In this offense, you have to be able to catch the ball. That is supposed to be Jalen Samuel's strength. And he really impressed me with the touchdown that he scored to tie the game at 30. You'll remember the play, a little swing pass, and it looked like the defender had the angle on him. But Samuel's put on a burst of speed and beat the guy to the corner of the end zone. I was impressed by that. We don't know how good a running back he is. He didn't do a whole lot of that at NC State. But maybe the fact that Connor's not there any longer, they will pass more. I still don't think they should give up on the running game. Now, they've got running backs who fumble and that sort of thing. You minimize it. It also makes me wonder if part of the, ra- and they don't give this answer, but if part of the rationale for not running the ball more when game circumstances dictated they certainly could and should, if they weren't concerned once the Bell deadline passed with giving Connor fewer touches to prevent injury. If that was the case, if that is the case, I think that's stupid. Because James Conner didn't come off the field, whether he carried the ball or not. He's still in there blocking rushing linebackers and pass protection. He's still catching the ball. Running the football for running back is not the only way you can get injured. And if I'm not mistaken... Connor was injured this time after catching a pass. It bothers me they abandoned the run because, with the exception of the Jacksonville game, where they only ran 11 times all game, and Jacksonville did stuff him in the first half, I shouldn't say him, the entire running game. Jacksonville overpowered that offensive line. He's been averaging four yards per carry. Sunday night, 15 carries, 60 yards. It's not world-beating, but it's not bad. Give me four yards per carry as a team, and I'll beat you. And the other element of being a running back in this or really any pro offense is that you've got to be able to pass protect. It's one of the reasons that Connor didn't play a whole lot last year was because they didn't trust him to pass block for Roethlisberger. Understandable. He's the franchise quarterback. But by all accounts, and based on the number of times Roethlisberger's been sacked this year, many of which are his fault for holding on to the ball too long, Connor's done great at that. So that's another element of the game. that We don't know about Jalen Samuels. We don't know about Steven Ridley. I don't know how much he was asked to do that in New England. My guess is, is that, like most featured running backs in college, Samuels hasn't done a whole lot of that either. And he hasn't played often enough to determine whether or not he's capable of that. My best guess is that Stephen Ridley, unless they open empty set and that kind of thing, or they, they open up with you know their their pass group in, that Stephen Ridley is going to start the game against Oakland, unless they say we're going to you know we're going to go three wides and you know we're going to spread it out and all that kind of thing. I don't think Stephen Ridley is going to make anybody forget about Tony Dorsett, but I also don't think that he is incompetent. Michelle posts on Facebook, when they have the sense to use him, Connor was great on short yardage touchdowns and early on on play action plays. going to be interesting to see if they trust the backs they have in short yardage situations. The thing is they're going to have to. I mean, maybe they try to fool somebody, and they come in with the full back and they, you know, they've done this before, a quick handoff to Roosevelt Knicks. Maybe they do use Roosevelt Knicks as a blocking back in front of either one. But if they're not committed to the run game, why even bother? Gary says they could have extended an olive branch to Bell during his holdout. Any of the linemen could have tried to contact him. Not sure he was available on the market. Well, we don't know whether any of the linemen reached out. They say they didn't have any contact with him. I think the Steelers said, this is what we're going to do. The rules, yeah, we could, we could up your contract, but we're not doing it. I think a bigger question is, Could they, should they have made a move at the trade deadline? Who was available? Well, Carlos Hyde was traded from Cleveland to Jacksonville. I don't know. Is he better than Stephen Ridley? I guess he is. Only a fifth-round draft choice. That would have been a value. Ron Post, stand at the trade deadline, they had money to do something. Carlos Hyde was traded. They could have gotten a similar player. Instead, the Steeler way of not doing anything prevailed the same way that leads to three playoff wins in eight years and Tomlin being 0-9 in challenges and refusing to get replay help. Well, that's a misnomer. He gets help from upstairs. He's the one who throws the red flag, but he's asking the people upstairs first. So let's, I know you hate Tomlin, but let's be accurate. But yeah, they could have traded for a running back. Maybe they didn't think there was anybody on the market that was better than Ridley and Samuels, if something happened. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. coach in Washington trying to explain the decision to opt for Josh Johnson who hasn't thrown a regular season pass in the NFL since 2011 over Colin Kaepernick as the next option behind Mark Sanchez because look the way things are going for Washington Sanchez is going to get injured at some point between now and the end of the season. That's NFL reporter Mike Florio talking about the Redskins decision Not to give Colin Kaepernick a look. You're well aware of their circumstance. Pretty much blew up their playoff chances. I mean, they're still in it, but they've lost Alex Smith. Now they lost his backup, Colt McCoy, and now it's Mark Sanchez. And when asked about the possibility of giving Colin Kaepernick, Gruden, Jay Gruden, has there ever been a case where two brothers were Head coaches in the NFL at the same time? Yeah, the Harbaugh's. Sorry. <laughs> they play, they've they met in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, in any event, sorry, thinking out loud, which is a dangerous thing. Gruden said, well, if this were earlier in the season, Kaepernick's skills are such that you, you have to have a special package and so on and so forth. But you have to take that with about four pounds of salt, right? Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, was very vocal about the kneeling issue. And you can have all your opinions about that. But it also strikes me that here is a franchise willing to sign a serial domestic abuser in Ruben Foster, even though the league's not allowing him to play, but the Redskins were more than happy to claim him off waivers when the 49ers cut him for that reason. No problem there, but a guy who didn't kneel for the national anthem to protest social injustice can't have him. Welcome all you domestic abusers. Can Kareem Hunt be very far behind? Hey, if you don't think Colin Kaepernick's a good quarterback, fine. That's your decision. But please, let's not try to pass that one off for anything more than it truly is. We had a lot of conversation about officials after Sunday night's game. This is interesting to me. The NFL has suspended an official named Roy Ellison after he apparently – called defensive lineman Jerry Hughes a derogatory term. Hughes plays for Buffalo, and he got suspended for it. I don't know what he said. I don't know if he said it, but the NFL apparently is buying the story because they suspended the guy. Roy Ellison is his name, the official. And I'm not saying that that's not justified. But how about incompetence? Is that worthy of a suspension? Of course, if incompetence were a factor, there'd be about four Major League Baseball umpires working today. But whoever was responsible for missing the false start that wasn't called, shouldn't he be Suspended for a week and docked a check. It's happened before. There was a game a number of years ago where an entire crew. It was it was against the. It's a long time ago, as I recall, it was against the Los Angeles Rams, not these Rams. I mean the Rams before they moved to St. Louis and then moved back to Los Angeles. And they gave the Rams, as I recall, or whoever the Rams were playing, an extra down. They lost track of the downs and were suspended for a week. Does that ever happen? They did fire a guy earlier this year from the very crew who worked the game here Sunday night. I wonder if that guy would have called the false start if he'd have been around. As we continue through bizarro NFL world, this was killer to me. San Francisco 49ers long snapper, Kyle Nelson, was suspended 10 weeks for violating the substance abuse policy, meaning he was getting steroid injections or taking steroids. And that's in accordance with the CBA. But what I have to wonder about is, why does a long snapper feel the need to take steroids? That that's what the long snapper? I don't know if he's a backup guard or center or what Is that what we've come to? The long snapper has to take steroids or feels the need to take steroids? Boy, the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Ben in the gun. He's back. Little dump off running for the goal line and diving into the end zone is Jalen Samuels, the rookie from NC State. His very first touchdown in a black and gold uniform. Sometimes the journey itself provides opportunity and that opportunity provides, you know, Times for guys to show and prove, and he's done that, and um, and so he's getting increasing opportunities because of it. That was ongoing in recent weeks, even prior to James's injury. So obviously, sometimes injury is a component of it. Mike Tomlin talking about Jalen Samuels, who will uh, play a significant role from this point forward until James Connor's return. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette and a member of our Steelers Radio Network crew. Jerry's brought to us each week by Gorman's Pub in Brentwood, $2 bottle Light aluminum pints every Sunday. How you doing, Jer? Well, Stan, I am fine,
1: and because I'm talking with you and because of uh, your relationship with him as well, I just want to pass along uh, not only my sadness uh, over the passing of Sam Nover, but uh, my sympathies to his family. Uh, you've known him for a long time, as did I. You were even closer to him than I was, and uh, he was a dinner companion and a golfing friend, and I admired Sam a great deal, and he's certainly going to be missed uh, way too young and, and very sad, very
0: sad. Yeah, at the end of the show, I'm going to say goodbye to him, and, and um, uh, I'm just devastated, really. But I'll, I'll get to that. I I, uh, I was going to ask you at the end about, about Sammy, but I, I, I would uh, – I, I hope I wanted you to rec- okay, okay. recount about the, the your story about the everybody dinner reservation so because for those of us who knew him it's it just so perfect please tell everybody about what you do when you go on the road
1: well First of all, going out to dinner with Sam was always an experience because <laughs> God, God forbid that the waiter would bring the, the oh. food not the way Sam liked it, oh. which was eighty to ninety percent of the time. Absolutely,
0: I, I never had a meal with him where he didn't send something back. The right, roll right. was stale, or right. whatever it was.
1: I mean, Sam, we were in Burns Steakhouse, uh, Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, Tampa. Yeah, it was one of the most famous steakhouses in America. And, and Sam took us there and he wanted to show off the place and they bring the steak. And, and you know, after he cuts it, the, the James, James, he calls him over and he goes, my steak, he said, it has veins. <laughs> and, and there we are in Burns Steakhouse. And, and these people are like looking at his steak and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's telling the guy the steak has veins. But uh, you know, since he retired in two thousand and one, uh, I always make our dinner reservations on the road for our small little group, which usually at the time included Steigerwald, John Steigerwald, uh, Michael Challick, and over the years, the uh, last however many years has included uh, Richie Walsh, and during the preseason, maybe Bob Pompiani or my other colleague Ed or Gene Collier, whoever the case may be. It was never I never went for big dinner parties, but whatever. The, whenever I called and made a reservation, I always, as a salute to Sam and, and as a tribute to him, I always made the dinner reservation under the name Sam Nover. So when they would call <laughs> Nover party of four, uh, you know, it was just it was always a remembrance to to uh, Sammy after he retired. And and I and I did it in Denver. I do it everywhere I go where I make uh, where I make a dinner reservation.
0: Well, I'm glad. Yeah, uh, I, I saw that and and uh, I wanted you to share that because um uh, that that just that encapsulated him that was just yeah you're right about him at dinner um the the issue with uh, with James Conner let me let me just start with that do you hold the steelers accountable for not being shall we say more prepared for this eventuality especially for a running back
1: well you know, Stan. I mean, I I think it's easy in retrospect to look back after everything that's happened. I don't think anybody anybody predicted that Le'Veon Bell would walk away from fourteen and a half million dollars. And even after the the amount lessened, I don't think anybody thought he would walk away from 6 or $8 million, at least of all the Steelers. They never anticipated that. They anticipated him coming on Labor Day. They thought it would be the same situation as last year. Who would have ever forecast that he would have walked away from $14.5 million? Absolutely nobody. And so to sit there and hold them accountable now for not not being prepared, I, I think really to a degree... Um, it isn 't fair because i don 't think anybody anticipated this scenario now, as it became, as as it it dragged on, maybe something else should have been done. but you know i, I don 't want to say Mike Tomlin you know using Mike Tomlinism here and say you can 't live in your fears. what happens if james Con- James Conner gets hurt um, I, I, you could probably do that at, at at every position, and and are they are they set uh, with their backups? Uh, no, I don't really think so. Would have it been great if their depth chart read James Conner and Le'Veon Bell heading to this point of the season and into the postseason? Absolutely, but I, I I just think it's it's easy to sit back and say, well, they should have done this after this occurs, but I don't know how anybody could have forecasted what happened with Le'Veon Bell. Back at any point, whether it, whether when when they put the tag on them, or or even into the preseason or Labor Day, I don't think anybody thought this would happen.
0: Yeah, I don't either. And I, th- I think the same rationale I assume would apply to them not making a deal at the deadline, which was before the deadline for Bell.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree, Stan. And, and and they, you know, there were three instances: Labor Day, um, uh, the uh, during the bye week and when the deadline approached, that they anticipated him coming in. You know, there's a little, you know, I know some people want to want to split hairs, and it might become semantics after the word, you know, based on the words expected and anticipated. But when, you know, Art Rooney was, was was quoted as saying he expected bail, no, he said we anticipate him. But that's the same thing he told me on Labor Day. They anticipated him based on you know, they're good faith with, with uh, you know, putting that tag on them. And, and he didn't uphold his end of the bargain. And, um, again, they just, uh, you know, to sit there and hold them accountable and say they should have anticipated this, no, nah, I don't think so.
0: All right. Uh, with that in mind, clearly the loss of James Conner is a blow. There's no question about that. No one's trying to minimize the effect that his loss for however long uh, will have on the team. However... Uh, I was wondering your thoughts on this. Given how little they've run the ball in the last three, four games, does that minimize the impact because they weren't giving the ball to him, uh, at least I don't think so, as much as they should have anyway. And so, therefore, the running game, they only run 33% of the time. Uh, They're 29th in the the league, Uh, last in the AFC. Does this become less of an issue because they're not running?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Stan, if this is the uh, L.A. Rams with Todd Gurley, uh, their offense revolves around Todd Gurley. If it's the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, um, then it has a bigger impact because their offense revolves around Ezekiel Elliott. And while you might say, oh, well, those guys are exceptions, well, you know what, they were the only two running backs in the league with more yards and more 100-yard games than James Conner. So it isn't as though James Conner didn't have an impact on his team. But let's face it, Stan. this team doesn't revolve around him, and it didn't revolve around Le'Veon Bell. It revolves around Ben Roethlisberger. So uh, while people want to somewhat uh, bemoan or get concerned about James Conner, uh, let's face it, it's a whole different animal if you lose Ben Roethlisberger. And their chances of winning, to me, aren't, aren't greatly reduced uh, because of not having James Conner. Well, sure, it doesn't help because of what he's been able to do, But when you have number seven and when you have 84 and you have 19, uh, all of a sudden it makes your offense not only good, but it makes it diverse to the point where when you put another running back back there, I'm not saying the guys are going to step in and do the same thing. But James Conner stepped in and did what Le'Veon Bell did when nobody expected that. And that's that's not to say this is going to happen here. But when D'Angelo Williams did it, same thing. And who knows? We'll wait and see how it plays out but I don't think there's any reason to panic just because James Conner is going to miss at least two
0: games. Do you expect to see Stephen Ridley, depending on what formation they decide to come out in in Oakland, do you expect to see uh, that Ridley will be the primary runner and they'll use Jalen Samuels as kind of that third down passing back?
1: Yeah, I I think actually Stan, it'll be a little bit more split than that. I, I think, um, uh, Jalen Samuels is not the type of running back. He wasn't in college. Uh, he wasn't that workhorse type of running back who carried it 25 to 30 times a game, even 20 times a game, and that's not going to happen here. But if he shows he's effective running the ball, they'll push him to the limit as much as they can. But I think, I think you will see them uh, rotate the two guys, um, and, and it, I think you'll probably see him start with Stephon Ridley, and, you know, depending on the package. But I, I, I think, just basically speaking, I think the majority at the beginning will be will be Stefan Ridley and, and just kind of mixing those guys in. We'll see what they do uh, with Trey Edmonds. You know, uh, Stephon Tewitt last night on his show was talking about Trey Edmonds, and he said he was it just in practice. He said he's been very impressed with how hard this guy runs, and he was telling us off the air, too. So it wasn't like he was just saying it on the air for public consumption. Um, that uh, he really likes how hard the guy runs, and and he bursts into the hole. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. But, you know, they have one big advantage, and it's that offensive line. Stand and and like I said, defensive coordinators worry about seven and eighty four more than they worry about any running back in in uh, on that football
0: team. Yeah, I've tried to point out to people that when you talk about a running back, that does not necessarily reflect on the entire running game. Yeah, the back may be the most important component, but um, I, I, I just I don't think they run the ball enough. Uh, and I'm wondering, do you think they'll pass even more now because they don't have at least to this point a reliable well, running back
1: you, you know Stan, it's, it's kind of hard to, to imagine that they can actually throw more than they have <laughs> when ben roethlisberger leaves the league in attempts and, and passing yards so i don't know that you're going to see them really rely anymore but but the game will dictate the game will dictate and you know the, the raiders don't stop to run um i i, I don't think I, I mean i don't think they're going to come out like they did in denver and throw 10 straight passes I think you'll see them come out and try and, and get get the running backs some touches and get them into the game and, and, you know, throw it and then see how that works and then decide whether they're going to keep attacking with the pass. Well, let's face it. There's no question that they're a pass-oriented team and they're going to remain that way. That's not going to change. But um, I, I I think the the game will dictate how they decide. Uh, uh, you know, to use their backs, how many touches they want to give
0: them. You know, Jerry, in general, I believe you score whenever you possibly can, and if it's one play for eight seconds or eight plays for eight minutes, uh, you need a touchdown. But when, right, I agree. But when you see that defense, all they get one stop, one stop in the fourth quarter. They win that game. Do the Steelers have to consider, we need to protect this outfit a little bit?
1: You know, Stan, I think that I think the defense has taken a little bit of a bash here. Look, I'm with you. One stop, and, you know, you've heard me say before that you don't have to be a shutdown defense in this league the way it's played anymore, the way the game is played. All you have to do is come up with timely stops, as they did. They did it four times in Jacksonville. They only had to do it one time, uh, uh, you know, against the Chargers. But I think people are forgetting who they're dealing with here, and they're dealing with Phillip Rivers, you know. and And, you know, Last night, again, Stephon Tuitt brought this up, and and, as soon as he brought it up, I remember this. When the Broncos beat the Steelers in the playoff game a couple years ago with uh, Peyton Manning, uh, I remember after the game the guy saying, and and Peyton somewhat acknowledging, that (laughs) he figured out what they were doing. He's Peyton Manning, just like Tom Brady figures out what they're doing. Phillip Rivers has been around for 15 years. He will be a Hall of Fame quarterback he figured out what they were doing. And it was Philip Rivers, and he, and he manipulated that and, and took advantage of that. So, um, you know, Stan, Joe Hayden, if he doesn't come up with a pick, he breaks up that pass. Uh, and and the, the punt return for touchdown isn't the defense's fault. I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but they shut him down in the first half to two yards rushing. And if you look at it statistically, you say 85 yards rushing. That's not going to kill anybody. The 46-yard touchdown pass, was the longest pass they've given up since uh, Week Three. They've been they've been better than people than people think they are, and um, I, I'm not defending them and saying they're terrific. But but the need to bash the defense, I I don't think is really necessary. To the point that I think people think it's a big concern. I don't think it's any more of a concern really. standing than with than any other team in the league, with the exception of maybe two or three other uh, other football teams that, that play very good defense.
0: Well, taking that look at the defense into the larger context, um, I suppose that they wouldn't say this in Denver or L.A. or wherever the Chargers uh, operate, uh, but the Steelers gave away two games they easily could have won. Uh, <coughs> and you look at their prospects, what do you think their prospects are realistically, can they rebound from this? Um, I I mean, are they looking at, you know, even winning the division? Uh, uh, And and what about beyond that now? Well, as to the division,
1: stand, the Ravens are in the same situation as the Steelers. They play at Kansas, maybe worse. They play at Kansas City, and they play the Chargers in their last four games. They have the Browns and the Buccaneers uh, at home. So, you know, schedule-wise, they're looking at maybe two and two. If the Steelers go 2-2, two and two, they win the division. So I think it's still very reasonable, very plausible to expect them to, to win the division. And if they don't, then they're not a good football team, Stan. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, when I look at the last three games, Stan, Jacksonville, Denver, and San Diego, they could have won all three. They could have lost all three. Every one of those games came down to the last play of the game. They could be 9-2-1. Nine, two, nine, two and one, and and the entire league and, and every commentator in the country saying, look out for this team. They're dangerous. They might be the best team in the AFC, or they could be six five and one. And people were wondering if they're good enough to make the playoffs. That's where they are. They can, they can beat anybody, and I don't want to say they can lose to anybody. But but that's how that's how close it is to being nine two and one and being a dominant football team. So that's that's the way I look at them. I don't look at them a whole lot different than I did three weeks ago. I still think they're a team that, that uh, when they play well, uh, they can, they can beat anybody. And we've seen that. We saw that the other night. They dominated that Kansas City team. They were, uh, excuse me, Chargers team. They were a, a holding call by Ramon Foster away from the play from making that game 30 to 7. Yeah. at the at the start of the third quarter after James Conner ran 22 yards to their 26, Mike Tomlin referenced that yesterday as being a key moment, and it was, because now if it's 30-7, to I think it's an entirely different ballgame. So, uh, you, know, we, you know, we saw them dominate the Broncos, go up and down the field on them, and then in Jacksonville, we saw that <laughs> remarkable transformation from one half to the second half. You saw what they did to Carolina, Now I know Carolina's lost four games in a row. But that Denver game could have easily become a Carolina game. You know that could have easily been forty to 17, 35 to seventeen, whatever the case may be. I know it wasn't, but my point is that's how close they are to being nine-two and one. And to me, they're they're the same football team. Uh, you know, with four games to go, we'll see which way they. We'll see which way it decides to go.
0: All right, Jer. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, your remembrances of Sam Nover uh, and for your comments today. As always, really appreciate it. Take care, Jer. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Yes, Dan. I know what uh, I know what happened with Sammy is very tough on you, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing your your remembrance. And uh, I know he was a good friend of yours, and I know it's it's tough for all of us, but I know it hits you very hard. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sorry about his his uh, you know your loss of him. But we'll we'll all miss Sammy, and he was he was a he was a great professional. And he was a friend to a
0: lot of us. Absolutely. And uh, ultimately, when we think of him, we'll think of him very fondly. And that uh, absolutely that's all we can ever expect for, for any of us. Thank you, Jerry. All right, Sam. Take care. Jerry Dulack, of the Post-Gazette brought to us by Gorman's Pub in Brentwood. $2 Bud Light aluminum pints every Sunday. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.